Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. I'd like to invite you to turn with the Bible to Philippians chapter 3. One way to think about the book of Philippians is that it teaches us how to suffer well. I've been trying to give you some different ways to think about Philippians, but it's true. It's about suffering well. There's a Christian way to suffer and a non-Christian way to suffer. And that has nothing to do with the temperature in our sanctuary today. I just want you to know that. Um, I have a convenient phone app that tells me it's 76 degrees in the sanctuary. The good news for you is that it's 70 degrees in the fellowship hall. I just want you to know that. Um, you know, somehow your pastor's been on vacation and not paying attention. <laughs> we'll get this programming straight. Uh, trust me, we'll get it, we'll get it, we'll get it. Uh, it's trying really hard. Can you hear it? It's trying really hard to get to 70. But wonderfully, there are many of you here today. And thank you for bringing your heat. <laughs> Because you allow us the opportunity to suffer for Jesus. Amen? (laughs) Your sermon notes conveniently work as a fan. So you can use those. I would be okay with that. And I'll just treat it as we have a bunch of fans out there today. Or something like that. (laughs) As we turn to Philippians, I've been introducing this beautiful book. It, It reveals Paul's heart. I mean... People are like tea bags. You've heard this, right? When you put them in hot water, you find out what comes out. You find out what's in there. And Paul's in hot water. He's in house arrest. His life is threatened, literally. He is suffering misunderstanding by people within the church as well as outside of the church. All kinds of things have gone wrong. And yet, the book of Philippians, of course, is a book about what? It's a book about joy. If there's anything else people know about Philippians, and and you should. No less than eight times Paul commands us to rejoice. And that will happen in our reading today as well, no surprise. Sixteen times in four short chapters he makes reference to the word joy or rejoice. And significantly, as we've been studying Philippians, as we're continuing a series, significantly we understand that joy is the same word as grace in the Greek, charis. It comes from the same derivative. And so joy is a beautiful grace of God. And it's something that Paul's life oozes. It's something that Paul's life shows. And that really shows when we're under pressure, right? (laughs) Are you rejoicing yet in your trials? (laughs) Giving God thanks for this wonderful opportunity that you may have, whatever your circumstance may be, to demonstrate the love of Christ to the world. I want to invite you to stand with me as you're able, and I want to read from Philippians 3. And I invite us to hear, you know, for Paul, the order of the day is repetition, so let's hear him say it. Further, my brothers and sisters, we know what he's going to say, right? Rejoice. Don't just rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, Paul says. And then this interesting statement, we'll look at this, and it's a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, For it is we who are the circumcision, 
We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. All this foolish bragging, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. It's a very strong word in the Greek, skubala. It actually means refuse. Some of the translations pick up on that. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And may we too be like-minded pushing toward the prize. Amen? Amen. Let's be seated. Part of what we call Northwest Yearly Meeting Conferences for Friends, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, part of that for me is a great fellowship of other pastors and hearing them share how things are. And this is our first time reuniting in person with them. It's really not the same on Zoom. <laughs> Reuniting with them and hearing them and seeing them. And there's a common thread among churches, not just within our circles, but really churches all the way around, that COVID has been really hard on churches. It's, it's been really hard on everybody. It's been really hard on churches. It's been really hard on pastors. As, as I listen to people talk, I almost want to describe it as an emptiness, that they're just drained, that, that life has found a way to just sort of take it out of them. And it's felt much more like a marathon than a sprint, hasn't it? I mean, I remember when this first came down, I thought two weeks later, everything will be normal. <laughs> it didn't quite happen that way. And, and this is some kind of new normal and, and, and everything else. But there's this feeling of emptiness that I think we all are sort of emerging from, hopefully emerging from, right? <laughs> that we're all sort of emerging from. I heard a wonderful story, and, and to me, it, it really describes the human condition, and I want to read this story to you. It seems there was a small town once that was back in the days of the old tent revival meetings. Are any of you familiar with the old tent revival meetings? Somebody just talked to me this morning about the Azusa Street Revival. Do some of you remember that? or? Okay, you, you, okay, that's what they said there, Bonnie, just so you know. Yes, so you remember it. 
Once a year, the whole town would gather for a series of evangelistic meetings under a big top, and a traveling preacher would make his way into town. And as was the custom, the revivals would always end up with an altar call. We, we had kind of a revivalist here in the 90s, I remember, early 90s, and, and he was actually a motorcycle guy. We had a motorcycle Sunday, and he'd say, the evangelists uh, blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. Is that, is that about right? That's what I heard. As was the custom, the revivals would always end up with an altar call. If you wanted to be filled with the Lord, then come up to the front to pray. There was one man in the very back who had drunk his way in. As soon as the evangelist announced, if there are any here who want to be filled, come up and pray at the altar. This man did go forward. And he was even at church the next four Sundays. But sadly, it wasn't long before he returned to his old ways. For a time, he'd given up his drinking, his coarse language, but soon everything went back to normal. The next year, the same traveling preacher came to town and gave the same altar call invitation. Come up to the altar if you want to be filled. And sure enough, everyone watched as the same guy made his way up to the front once again. Now, the townspeople were a bit skeptical, but of course, they were naturally excited and hoping for the best, but things went just as they had before. This time, he only made it three Sundays, and things just drifted back to the way that they were. The next year, when the preacher came back into town, the same man came forward at the invitation. Come up to the altar for prayer if you want God to fill you. Just then a lady from the back shouted, Don't do it, Lord! He leaks! <laughs> yeah. I mean, if the truth were to be told, isn't that the story of all of us? <laughs> isn't that our story? We're sinners. We're saved by grace. And we seem to not be able to hold on to this for too long. Some of you are familiar with the name Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday was a revivalist in the late 1880s. He was also a center fielder for the Chicago White Sox. Did you know that? Hence his popularity. So he had as many as 300,000 converts because he was the, kind of the predecessor for Billy Graham. He was the best-known evangelist of his time at that time. And, and so he preached everywhere. And here's what he said, if you lack joy, your Christianity must be leaking somewhere. <laughs> Isn't that descriptive? It was true pre-COVID. I'm proving it to you. This isn't a new thing <laughs> for all of us to walk through seasons where we feel empty, where we feel drained, where we feel discouraged, where it seems like we have this high and then over time, somehow, it just sort of seeps out. And this is our condition. I suppose we keep enough of the water in the bucket according to where the lowest hole in the bucket is, right? Something is left, but it doesn't feel like a whole lot, does it? I have good news for you today about joy. And of course, Philippians is a book about joy, so I'm just going to hone in on this statement, rejoice in the Lord. I don't mind saying it again, Paul says, rejoice, because that's what he wants to say to them over and over and over again. And it's clearly what he wants to say in these 14 verses. I'm going to show that to you. But I have good news about joy. I want to say three things that I think are really good news about joy. And I'm going to invite you to help me. I'm going to ask this question. Well, I have some good news about joy. And I want to invite you to respond with, what's the good news? Can you do that? Well, I have some good news about joy. What's the good news? The good news is... Rejoicing is where we are safe. 
Such an interesting verse. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll tell you again. I don't have any problem repeating myself. I'll say it again. Rejoice, rejoice. You're familiar with that. But do you see what he says afterwards? He says, this is a safeguard to you. You ever wondered about that? It's an interesting comment. How could joy be a safeguard? You know, throughout this series, I've been making a case for the importance of joy. I want to say this as much as I can, as well as I can, that being joyless as a Christian is hazardous to your spiritual health. Do you believe it? Paul is, toward the end of his life now, writing to the Philippians from house arrest, which will ultimately end in his execution. And out of his wisdom, out of his problems, everything else, he's saying this over and over and over again to them. I think that's really important for us to listen to. What if, what if a lack of joy is actually hazardous to our spiritual health? I want you to, to picture the bucket springing leaks and the joy just going everywhere. We don't know why it goes so fast sometimes, but it does. In chapter 2, Paul talked about holes in the bucket in terms of grumbling. Remember that? He said, do everything without grumbling. What a statement. We took some time. We thought about that. What's the difference between lamenting and grumbling and so forth? But he said, do everything without grumbling. I think clearly that's, that's, that's a hole in the bucket. When we grumble, when we're grumbling, we're not praising, right? When we're busy praising, we can't grumble. So, so I think that has something to do with it. But here, I think Paul identifies another hole in the bucket. Not, not just grumbling. He identifies what you might call legalism, Right? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Don't grumble. Rejoice in the Lord always. Watch out, he says, for those dogs, those mutilators of the faith. Why would he say dogs? You know, in our time, dogs are cute and cuddly, companions. In his time, in his culture, this was not a nice thing to say. It didn't have anything to do with being a good companion. It had everything to do with being wild and unpredictable. And who was he talking about? Well, in his day, they called them the Judaizers. No offense to anyone named Judy. We have a lot of wonderful Judies in our church. <laughs> but Judaizers were, were legalists. They, they were those who insisted on circumcision, even though the Jerusalem Council years earlier had said, that's not required. Even though it's all by grace, plus you still have to do this dietary restriction, you still have to do this circumcision, you still have to do these rituals in order to really be a follower of Christ. And so Paul was planting these churches in Asia Minor, um, region of Galatia and, and, and up into Macedonia and Philippi and the second missionary journey in Europe. And, and he's planted all these churches and now he's in house arrest. Imagine his discouragement that those who claim to be Christ followers are following his work around saying, well, Paul didn't tell you everything. You also need this. And we call that legalism. Legalism is any time that we put the focus on what we can do versus keeping the focus on what God has already done for us. As if somehow we needed Jesus plus this extra ingredient. And imagine the harm that that was causing to these young churches. Imagine how Paul felt as a pastor to see those churches being ripped apart. 
And so he's writing to them, and he's saying in really harsh terms, and by the way, Jesus wasn't the only one who used really harsh terms for hyper-religious folks that were legalistic, right? I mean, Jesus did. Paul wasn't the only one. Jesus had really harsh things to say as well. He called them a brood of vipers. <laughs> I mean, I don't know which is worse. Would you rather be a snake or a dog? I don't know. But there it is. Look out for this. To me, that, that indicates a level of the seriousness of how deeply this was on Paul's heart. I want to suggest to you that he's offering that the remedy for legalism is grace and joy. Amen. Don't let your focus be pulled away from rejoicing in what the Lord has done for you based on what you think you've done or for that matter what you haven't done. So Paul lists off, oh man, if anybody has room to brag, it's me. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting. Tribe of Benjamin. He, he goes on with this list of credentials that should be impressive to Judaizers. And Paul says, I count that as nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. What's more, knowing Christ crucified. Yeah, I want to know him in his resurrection, but I need to know him in his death before his resurrection. He puts the focus back on Jesus. He doesn't put it on our credentials. He doesn't put it on who we are or how great we are. And I really believe as a church, this is important corporately, that we're not called to convince people how great we are. We're, we're not convinced to promote ourselves. We're not, con we're, we're not here to promote some kind of religion. We're here to promote Jesus Christ. It's about relationship with him. And there's so many things that can, that can spring a hole in the bucket. We get so excited about learning. Jesus died for me. He's risen. He's alive. I've stepped across the line. I've decided to become a Christian. I've decided to follow him. I'm growing in my relationship with him. And then somebody comes along and says, but you didn't get it all. And I think that there's all kinds of new legalisms around, don't you? Amen. Prosperity gospel. You know, if you have a problem, it's really because you don't believe enough. You're not sincere enough. You don't pray enough. It comes across in a lot of extra forms. The thing that grumbling and legalism have in common is that both of them take the focus off of Jesus. When we're grumbling, we can't praise. When, when we're stuck on achievement, when we're comparing my righteousness to your righteousness, your list to my list, we lose sight of Jesus. It doesn't matter. Paul was really clear about the other letters too. I mean, Apollos did this, I did that. It doesn't matter. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's about relationship with him. And I think he's saying be really careful about that. What if it is dangerous to be joyless? Something to think about, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, look at Nehemiah. It says that actually our joy is equated with strength. One way to look at the book of Philippians is that it's a book about standing firm. The Philippians, for them to be Christians, they had to reject culture. They had to be rejected by culture. They had to reject family practices. They, and it was hard. And so twice, at the beginning and at the end of Philippians, Paul simply says, stand firm. That's one way to think about Philippians, that 
That's what Paul's saying to them. What if standing firm is in direct proportion to your joy? And your willingness to follow this repeated command, rejoice. What a hard thing for Scripture to say, really, don't grieve. Or you're really going to have strength and joy. I think that's something for all of us to think about, isn't it? Look, I'm saying this. Oh, here's, here's one more thing about legalism. This is for free. No charge on this one. I almost forgot it. Tim Keller, The Reason for God. If you center your life and your identity on religion and morality, you will, if you're living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and cruel. Now, if I don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. What a statement. Some guys are so smart. Don't you wish you would have said that? I think that's awesome. (laughs) And, And it really highlights the importance of keeping that focus on Jesus, doesn't it? Look, I'm saying this because I have some good news about joy. (laughs) I love it. I have some good news about joy. Okay, okay. Rejoicing. I hope they're doing this at home. Are you doing this at home? Are you doing this in the fellowship hall? We can't hear you. There. Was that them? You can hear them from there because it's so cool and refreshing in that building. Rejoicing is not about our emotions. Rejoicing is about our focus. And, and for me, that's the best news of all. It's not about how I feel and don't feel. It's not based on that. It's based on my focus. And emotion, by definition, is involuntary. And so I think a lot of people see other joyful people and just say, well, that's not me. And I can kind of go there because my personality is measured as this term. It's such a flattering term, melancholy. (laughs) I mean, I kind of like to be alone in a cave for a while. Not everybody does. So for some people, that's punishment. For other people, that's, ah, (laughs) just a few minutes. (laughs) It's melancholy. It has nothing to do with emotions. It's nothing to do with yippee, skippy, fake it till you make it. I'm joyful, I'm happy, I'm putting on a happy face for you. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Rejoicing is commanded in the scripture. So therefore, it means it's something that you can do. We're to rejoice. And I think Paul's teaching us what that means. It's simply to change our focus. That's something we can do. We can choose what we think about. We'll get to that in chapter 4, of course. We can choose what we dwell on. We can choose what we forget. That's not that you obliterate your memory. It's not that Paul's saying, I forgot that I was all those things. When he says that I press on, I'm forgetting, it's not that he doesn't remember. It's that he doesn't focus on it. And that part is our choice. Where will we focus? Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It's not that I've already obtained all this. But the one thing that I do is I press 
forward. And wow, here's Paul as he pens this letter facing house arrest and possible death and false teachers. And in the midst of all of that, he says rejoice. And he doesn't just say rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord. It's about focus. I have to tell you, I'm so glad you guys dropped in today. I just really mean that. I'm glad you made a choice to be here. Teresa said the same thing as she opened the service. It's delightful for pastors that anybody shows up anymore. <laughs> good, good. We love you too. But that's rejoicing, isn't it? I don't know about you, but my experience of worshiping in front of a screen was very different than this. I'm encouraged, don't get me wrong. I'm so thankful we can provide that opportunity. We genuinely have some people that need it. And I'm so thankful, and all of us at one time or another need it. And it's so much better than nothing. I, I'm really glad about that. But my experience of it, I mean, how spiritual is that to watch somebody sing? I mean, am I going to sing by myself? I'll try. Yeah, yeah, I'll try. Oh, wait, I need to let the dogs out. So I let the dogs out with my phone in my hand. My eggs are burning. i got to finish that. Well, the laundry needs to be changed. So I, You see what I'm saying? It, it's hard. It's just difficult. But here you are. Almost out of politeness, you're still sitting down, still looking forward. You see what I'm saying? There's something really intentional about this that I consider rejoicing. It, a change of focus for all of us. A different place to be. A, a different mindset. I, I firmly believe we can worship wherever we are at every bit of time. We're to pray continuously, of course, of course, of course. And isn't it nice to have some help? Isn't it nice to have some encouragement? Isn't it nice to have brothers and sisters to call brothers and sisters? Amen. I'm grateful. It, it's about changing our focus. And, and I think that rejoicing is about that. I have some good news about joy. What? I'm glad you asked. Joy finds us when we pursue the right prize. Somebody's described joy as a, as a, a fish slippery fish. The harder you try to grab it, the faster it squirts away. And there's a lot of people trying to grab joy. They're, they're after joy. That's their goal. They want to be happy. And have you found that to be true? You don't find it in pursuing happiness. And so we go back to Jesus Beatitudes. You know, really the ones that are happy are the ones that are bankrupt. It's the ones that know how desperate they are. They know how hungry and thirsty they are for true righteousness. People who are just focused on the kingdom. And that's Paul's focus. I'm focused on the prize. What I want to say about this is that we find joy, if we're like Paul, and he's our example to us, we find joy when we're busy pouring ourselves out. Joy isn't, it's tricky. You'd think it'd be more joyful to, you know, kind of take a break from sacrifice and service and ministry and using our gifts. Oh, that's where I'm going to find joy. And, and there are seasons we need to do that. I'm so blessed by a church that understands the value of sabbatical. There are seasons where you have to do that, right? But I see Paul experiencing joy in the midst of pouring himself out for the churches, expending himself completely. Back to the leaky vessel. Back to the leaking bucket. Well, what if we just are leaky buckets? I don't think the trick to joy is to try to plug all the holes and to make that our focus. 
There's another evangelist from the last century who had a comment about this. Um, You've heard of this one, Dwight Moody. The fact is, we are leaky vessels, and we have to keep right under the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ, and so to have a fresh supply. We're just leaky vessels. It's going to happen. But don't count on your spiritual experience from two years ago to provide you the kind of fresh water that you need right now. And if you're not giving it away, if you're just plugging the holes for yourself, you will not have room for a fresh supply. It gets stagnant really fast. An experience with Christ is an ongoing experience. So Paul says, I don't have any trouble saying this again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. It's no trouble for me to repeat this to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I think we're supposed to be leaky buckets. If, you know, another vessel I thought about comparing this to was a balloon. Like a water balloon. You know, a water balloon. You fill it up with water. I don't think we're supposed to be water balloons. They don't have an outlet. I mean, it's very limited, right? It just busts. I think we're more like a hose, right? We're a conduit to the living water into this world. And it's supposed to be going through us, not, not just held in by us. Better yet, we're like drip lines. We got holes everywhere. We're all messed up. <laughs> oh, Bobby. Sometimes I just don't have an answer. <laughs> All right, we're done. <laughs> we're more like that. that. That I think we're to be distributing the love of Christ, the joy of Christ, the hope of Christ, the rejoicing aspect everywhere. Isn't it needed in the dry ground of this world that you live in? Aren't there people carrying impossible burdens, some of them legalists, uh, some of them otherwise? Don't, don't they need the fresh grace of Jesus Christ. The only way we're going to get that is to stay under the fountain and to give ourselves away. Paul, who said in chapter 2, we're to have the same mindset of Jesus who didn't consider taking care of his own self and needs as the priority. Like Jesus, he poured himself out. Jesus let go of his rights. He became nothing for us. He emptied himself for us. That's what we're to be. Giving ourselves away constantly, and all of the time. Some of my most joyful times in life are my busiest times. Jesus said, if you're heavy laden and weary and burdened, come to me. And then he said, take my yoke upon you. He didn't say, come over here and sit on this couch. He said, take my yoke upon you. What's a yoke for? It's to work. And I think there's nothing more joyful for us than to be receiving constantly from Jesus and to be pouring ourselves out constantly to the needs of others in the name of Jesus. We're vessels. Right now, I'm counseling with three couples in an ongoing uh, relationship. One is for marriage enhancement, and two are for um, pre-marriage preparation. I, I can do a couple of weddings coming up here pretty quick. I do love it. I, I enjoy 
these starry-eyed. <laughs> then the other couple comes in. <laughs> I had one of the most joyful things happen to me the other day. Um, it was Tuesday, but I don't Tuesday. Um, I met with this couple preparing for their wedding, actually, where we're doing some of the mapping out of the ceremony. And it just occurred to me, do you know why we ask the groom before the bride these questions? Do you, I do, do you, I do. Do you know why? Why we have the groom show up first on the platform and then the bride? It's because we're honoring that bride. There's no chance that bride is going to come to the altar and the groom isn't there waiting for her. There's no chance that she could be embarrassed to say yes and then you say no. You're honoring her. You're setting the table. You're making yourself vulnerable as a man for her affection. And then she chooses to respond. Now, I know this is a ceremony. You guys better say yes because we're going through a lot of trouble. Just say no now if you're not going to. I understand it's a ceremony. But that really has meaning. And I told him why, and I referenced this passage from Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But in marriage, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And I told them, we are dearly loved people. We're cherished. Jesus came first. Laid himself down sacrificially for us. He did that for us. We didn't choose that. He chose that first. And he makes himself available to us in grace whether we choose to say yes or we choose to say no. Jesus is the vulnerable one. And one day, in being reunited in heaven, Scripture talks about us as the bride. And the bridegroom has done everything to make the bride ready and to do everything that needed to be done in preparation it's ready. You and I get to choose yes or no. I told him this. I was a blubbering mess. These kids don't happen to go to church anymore. I always tell them, if you get a pastor, this is what you're going to get. <laughs> We're going to talk about Jesus. And it, it was really well received. But after they left, I just sat at my desk. And I just rejoiced. And I thought about how unworthy I am as part of this bride. I thought about how unworthy we are as a church that Jesus would do that. That he would be willing and I repented of some of my exhaustion and some of my frustration 
of comparing and all those holes in the bucket things. You are worthy. And Jesus is worthy. I want to invite you just to step into a moment of prayer with me. If there is a barrier between you and the Lord, if there's some area of unsurrendered unwillingness, I want to ask you today in prayer, are you willing to rejoice in the Lord, to lay down whatever that is, and to take up his offer? sometimes it just feels like to us that we're so far from where we could be or where we want to be. It seems like sometimes we just struggle around in our emptiness, in our self-sufficiency, in our religion, in our righteousness, self-righteousness. And we just lose our focus. Jesus, I pray that you would remind us often of remarkable grace. At the end of the day, that stuff just doesn't matter. That you love us. That there's nothing more you could have done than to offer your very life for us. And Lord, there have been so many before us, like the Apostle Paul, who have been willing to just pour out their lives into us, who have encouraged us, who've shown us the way, who've loved us, and sometimes who waited at the altar when we didn't show up. God, have mercy on us, we pray. Teach us what it means to, to rejoice, to live a truly joyful life. If there's anyone within the sound of my voice, who's unsure if they have ever invited Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to give yourself to him, even at this moment. The scripture says what separates us from God is our own sin, our own rebellion, our own willfulness, our unwillingness to accept free grace, The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross for us to purchase our forgiveness. That our response is simply to accept. Will you? If this prayer reflects the need and desire that you recognize in your own life, would you pray with me? Jesus Christ, come into my heart and pray. I thank you for going to a cross for me. you for your great love to receive me as I am. Jesus, I want 
follow you. I want to learn to live a life that is holy, that pleases you, that is full of joy and not boredom or distraction or selfishness or certainly not legalism or religion. God, have mercy, I pray. Teach me really what it means to have a relationship with you, to hear your voice, to obey you, to love you. And thank you for the promise that you've given secure my future in you. In Jesus' name I pray.